0: Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these." When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, "'Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life?' "'Why do you ask me about what is good?' Jesus replied. "'There is only one who is good.' If you want to enter life, keep the Commandments. Which ones he inquired? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away very sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven again i tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of god when the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished and asked who then can be saved jesus looked at them And said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first.
1: Thanks, David. Keep those Bibles open. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called little children, grown adults, young and old, to come to you. Uh, Lord, we pray this morning for all of us uh, that you would calm us, Uh, We pray for the kids upstairs, uh, particularly that one child who's feeling a bit distressed. Uh, We pray for us down here with lots going on and banging around in our brains. We pray that you would enable us now to just sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his words and receive them like little children. Amen. Well, you have a little outline uh, there in your... uh, You can follow along. But values, today we're thinking about values and they're they're kind of funny things, aren't they? Uh, Our values, they, they actually, they're not maybe necessarily out on the surface, but they definitely define us. They determine how we see and respond to everything in the world around us. They drive what we do, the decisions we make. They shape our character and who we become. They form our dreams. They control our fears. They even influence the relationships that we build. They dictate who we look up to. Our values shape our careers, our lifestyle choices, our relationships and our habits. And I think if you can understand someone's values, you can pretty much understand most things about them. I think, you know, when someone does something, you know, sometimes you see someone do something you think, why on earth did they do that? That's just totally illogical. See, people aren't illogical. It's just that where our values are different, that shapes our logic in a different way. See, often when we realise and understand the values that are important to someone, we come to see that what looks illogical to us makes perfect sense with those values that they hold. So if you've got a really high uh, value for achieving tasks, for getting stuff done, for ticking stuff off your list, You'll probably do something differently to someone whose really high value is relational connections and personal relationships. They're not mutually exclusive, but whichever one's higher will affect how you do things. Someone who really values comfort and stability will probably make different choices to someone who values novelty and adventure. Someone who values self-sufficiency will operate differently to someone who values collaboration and cooperation. And it's when sometimes some of our own values collide with each other that we find out which values really run deepest. See, sometimes we find ourselves in situations, don't we, where one value clashes with another. Maybe a situation where our value of truth and telling the truth clashes with our value for peace and getting on with the person who we know if we tell the truth, uh, the peace will be disturbed. If we value the truth more, we'll bring out the truth and deal with the conflict. If we value the peace more, we'll keep the truth hidden and try and just keep that peace and quiet going. I know for me, uh, as a dad, uh, my values are always clashing together. Uh, And I've realised actually over the years, one of my strongest values is for like peace and quiet and calm. And when that clashes with, you know, kids who want to be loved and make themselves heard and and need parenting, I often find out that uh, my values are a little bit mixed up. Now over the uh, past few weeks, we've seen how the kingdom of heaven turns our thinking upside down uh, and it turns our values upside down. Uh, We saw two weeks ago where we would normally, uh, when we see a brother or sister sin, we would Our preference would normally be to either ignore it or to condemn it. Jesus called us to lovingly deal with it and call brothers and sisters back to repentance and obedience. Uh, Where we would naturally put a limit on how many times we would forgive someone, Jesus calls us to keep forgiving endlessly. And where we would naturally let our happiness and our uh, commitment—you know—sorry, happiness and our desires drive our decisions regarding marriage and singleness and divorce. Jesus called us to let God's command drive our commitment to marriage, drive the way we think about divorce and the way we do singleness. And today Jesus turns upside down some of the most deeply held values and he uses children to do it. So have a look there at verse 13. Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like these. So Jesus here holds up little children as a model for the kind of person who inherits the kingdom of heaven. But what does he mean by that? Well, I think uh, to really understand this, I'm going to need a kid. I'm going to need to steal one. Um, Marcellus, you're hey, Everyone say good day to Marcellus. Hey? So, uh, what is it about a little child that Jesus says that, that Jesus is drawing our attention to here? What is it about little children that's valued in the kingdom? What characteristics? Well, I look at him, he's, he's really cute, he's super cuddly, a little bit dribbly, and uh, I don't think those are the things that Jesus is saying. The cute and the cuddly and the dribbly are the ones that inherit the kingdom of heaven. No, what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 19... Is saying something about how they come. Now, here's a question. What do the little children do in Matthew 19? What are they doing in there? Have a little look, verse 13 and 14. What are the children doing? It's not a rhetorical. He's not that cute. I mean, he is, actually. He's stunned into silence, hey? What are the children doing? Nothing. They're just coming. Marcellus isn't doing anything right now. He just got picked up and dragged away. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> and, and how are they coming to Jesus? By the They're being brought. Yeah, that's right. And and what do the children bring with them? Absolutely nothing. And so why are they coming to him? To have Jesus bless them. They come with nothing, they bring nothing. They simply receive from Jesus his blessing. And that is the kind of person that inherits the kingdom. You want to go back? Sounds good. (laughs) Thanks, Marcellus. (laughs) Little legend. I knew he wouldn't fuss. He's so chilled. (laughs) See, what Jesus is saying here is that the kind of person that inherits the kingdom is the kind of person that comes to Jesus bringing nothing, the kind of person that comes to Jesus just for Jesus to bless them, just to receive from him the blessing of being welcomed and accepted and brought into his kingdom. And the disciples, when they saw the kids coming, uh, they did something that we might think, well, what on earth were they thinking? But when you look through the lens of their values, it makes complete sense as they send the kids away, try and send the kids away. See, to, to the disciples, they're just, you know, slobbery little kids that can't do anything. They're kind of useless in a kingdom. They don't bring anything to the kingdom. They don't do anything for the kingdom. And in the disciples' mind, well, they don't really have a place in the kingdom. It's interesting, you see our world, isn't it, at the moment? The way we treat uh, humans at either the very beginning of life or often towards the very end of life, uh, whether it's a baby in utero or whether it's a person who has lost their ability to, to talk, their ability to relate, their ability to control their own bodily functions. The way our society views and sees and is moving at both ends of life is to really devalue someone who doesn't bring anything to the table. And yet it's the exact opposite of Jesus. No, the people that don't bring anything to the table, they are the ones who belong to the kingdom not the strong and the brave and the worthy and the honoured and the good. Jesus turns our thinking and our values upside down. <laughs> now, Just uh, on Friday night, uh, our youth gig youth uh, went into town. Uh, once a term, a gig catches up with the youth groups from all the Trinity churches across the network. Uh, and so I was driving in with some of them then, uh, having a chat with one of them, and we were talking about uh, the one of the criminals who was crucified right next to Jesus, on the cross. We're talking about this guy, how he recognized who Jesus was. He realized that he deserved to die, but Jesus didn't, and Jesus really was the Messiah. And while he's there, nailed to a cross, he calls out to Jesus and says, "Hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom." He brings absolutely nothing. The only thing he can do for the rest of his life, which is not very long, is keep hanging there and keep breathing until he can't any longer. That is what a childlike faith looks like, to call to Jesus and ask him to bless us, to remember us and bring us into his kingdom, to recognise that we bring nothing of our own. It's the only way to the kingdom. But the problem is we, we often don't come like this And even after we've come like this, we often kind of revert back to not thinking like this. Some of our values get in the way uh, and we often feel this need to bring something to the table, to contribute or earn our way. Uh, Often we come like this. Have a look at verse 16. Monkeys in traps. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, uh, I think I might have told you this illustration before. I've been here three years, and so what that means from here on out is that uh, I've got no more illustrations left. And so, you know, I'm just going to put them on repeat uh, until you're sick of them all. Uh, But uh, Do you know how to catch a monkey? You get a coconut, you attach a rope to one end, attach it to a stake or a tree, and then you drill a hole in the coconut just big enough for a monkey's hand to squeeze through. And you find a pebble that just fits through the hole and you drop it in the coconut. And when the monkey comes along, he picks up the coconut and it rattles and he's really interested. And he goes, well, what's going on? And he shakes it, shakes it, and there must be something outside, inside. And he, he finds the hole and he, he or she reaches in and he grabs the pebble. But then, of course, as soon as the hand is around the pebble, it tries to pull it out of the hole. but can't get it out. And the thing is, that monkey will refuse to let go. Because they're so set on getting that pebble, figuring out what it is inside that coconut, you can come along, you can chuck a net over the top and you've got yourself monkey soup for dinner. (laughs) I don't know, I guess that's what you do, monkey. I've never tried. But see, this man who comes to Jesus obviously didn't understand what Jesus has just been saying about little children. He obviously didn't understand what Jesus was saying about coming with empty hands because this man came with full hands. He came as someone who, in the eyes of the world and the values of the disciples, someone who seemed worthy, who seemed like the kind of person who was able to contribute, who seemed like the kind of person who was a good person, who came bringing their goodness and their their wealth and their capacity. But this man, wanting to be self-sufficient was hanging on to a pebble. Now, after doing the, uh, the disciples, they probably thought, this is the kind of guy who does belong to the kingdom. And they'd probably think, you know, he's, he's mature, he's hardworking, he's asking the right questions. Except for the problem is he's not quite asking the right question, is he? He doesn't just ask Jesus, how do I get eternal life? Look at what he says in verse 16. What good thing must I do to get eternal life. See, if he'd listened to Jesus at all, he might have asked Jesus, well, what do you mean by the kids? If he'd listened to Jesus' message, he would have known that Jesus' message was repent and be saved. In other words, bring nothing. Actually leave behind everything that you've spent your whole life working towards All that rebellion, running away from God, everything you've built up, forget about all that. Come, receive forgiveness. Uh, But Jesus' uh, answer is actually a little bit puzzling, uh, because he says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And rather than just say, actually, no, you don't do anything, this is what Jesus says, verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. What must I do? Keep the commandments. Hang on, that seems kind of backwards to what we just heard about children. There's a proverb uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Proverbs 26 verse 5, uh, says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, Jesus, he kind of strings the guy on for a little while, but with a good reason. See, to this man who thinks he can get into the kingdom by doing good, Jesus is actually revealing his heart and uncovering his values. In essence, Jesus is saying to him, well, you want to get into the kingdom by doing good? You've got the commands. Just keep them. But the man's response really gives him away. Have a look at verse 18. Which ones, he inquired. Now, is that the right response to God's commands? That's a very Pharisaic response, isn't it? Which ones do we really have to keep? Which ones don't matter? Which ones can we not worry about? Which ones will I still be okay if I don't keep? Which ones am I not okay if I don't keep? So he wanted to pick and choose. Now, perhaps Jesus' answer would condemn him, the answer to which ones, or let him off the hook. But it's a fatal error that he makes, because the answer we know is all of them. But here's where Jesus' answer is even more puzzling, because Jesus doesn't say, well, obviously all of them. Verse 18, which ones, the man asked, Jesus replied, you shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. Now here's a question, not a rhetorical. What commands is Jesus referring to here? The Ten Commandments. How many of the commandments are there in the Ten Commandments? Ten. How many does Jesus list here? Five. Only half of them. It is confusing. It's five and then a summary, uh, so, uh, but it's only a summary of half of them. So, you shall not murder, that's commandment number six. You shall not commit adultery, commandment number seven. You shall not steal, commandment number eight. You shall not give false testimony, number nine. And then he jumps. Skips number ten. Honour your father and, num- and mother, number five, and love your neighbour as yourself, a summary. Does anyone know what number 10 is? You shall not covet. And the first ones, the first four that Jesus misses, are the ones that are all about our relationship to God. Commandment number one, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make an idol and bow down and worship it. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. And number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Jesus had summed these up as, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he deliberately leaves them out in his response to this man. He deliberately leaves out the command about not coveting to a man who Jesus can see not only has not loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength but is deeply covetous and treasures his possessions well the man's reply is a little unusual verse 20 all these I have kept hey maybe I've got a chance here maybe I'm off the hook maybe I don't have to worry about the other ones that I haven't kept but we can see that his conscience is still not clear. He still sees that he lacks something. And look at verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, this, this man knew he still lacked something. But he didn't know just how much he lacked. He came with full hands, but an empty heart. Now, Jesus' response here is actually a little bit lost in our English translation. Verse 21, if you want to be perfect, that word perfect, complete, also actually means... If you want to be adult, if you want to be a grown person, grown up, mature. Now isn't that interesting? What's Jesus just said about children, about entering his kingdom to enter his kingdom, you must be like a child. You must come with nothing to this man who comes and says, what can I come with so that I will be okay? What good thing do I have to do, Jesus? How do I make sure my hands are full? Jesus goes, well, actually, if you really want to come with full hands, if you really want to be like an adult and not a child, that's a pretty tall order. Now, Jesus doesn't say to anyone else, to leave everything, uh, to sell everything, like this man. He calls his disciples to follow him, the 12, and they leave everything. But he, he never says to anyone else, you must sell all your possessions. It's the only one. And why? Is it because that is the good thing he needs to do to earn his way? No, it's because that's what he needs to do, to stop trying to act like an adult who brings something to the table and to become like a child who brings nothing. Jesus knows that for this man, his particular pebbles are that he loves his stuff more than he loves God. And whatever value he places on being part of God's kingdom, he places more value on the stuff that he has so that he will not let go of that pebble and cling on to Jesus. Jesus gets to the heart of his values. And I wonder, if Jesus was to ask us, to give something up, if Jesus was to get right to me and your pebbles that our hearts want to hang on to, what would He tell us to let go of and walk away from? I think if uh, if He asked me to really sell all my possessions, I don't know. Maybe I could. Maybe I couldn't. But I think for me, actually, there are things that I find much harder. I think if Jesus told me to walk away from my reputation uh, to that following him would mean that every single person on this world, whether they're related to me or not, would think I was a complete idiot and would cut me off and I'd lose all of my respect and my friends and my family, I'd lose my place in a community, could I do that? could I let go of that pebble to come to Jesus with nothing? Uh, My sister and brother-in-law are uh, over in uh, Djibouti, top of Africa, Uh, I've told you guys about them before, Uh, and they do ministry to Yemenis uh, who have fled from Yemen because of the civil war. And when these Yemenis come to Christ, in a very real way, They're handing everything to Jesus, saying, I don't know if I will still have any of this. Some of them have lost their businesses. That's pretty big, even bigger. Many of them have lost their own families. Men who've come to Christ and whose wives will not have them back in the home, who haven't seen their children for years because they refuse to deny Christ and profess faith in Allah. They came like children, realising they had nothing, but that Jesus gives everything. What are your pebbles that you'd struggle to give up, to let go of? Now, Jesus probably won't ever require us to actually physically give everything up. But like that song we sung before, take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. Take every part of us, change us, So that we will be prepared to, so we would be happy to if He called us to. What are our values of comfort? Our pride of needing to bring something ourselves that we can earn our way? What is it? Well, Jesus isn't finished yet. Have a look at verse 23. We see the greatest miracle. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, someone tell you that um, you know, the eye of the needle was actually this gate, and it was just a tight gate, and it was kind of hard to, you know, get your car through there, your camel through there without scraping the paintwork. Um, and, you know, so that, you know, that really Jesus is not saying it's impossible, but it's just kind of hard. No, not at all. A load of baloney. Jesus is talking about a full size camel and a full size needle and that tiny little hole there. And he says, if you can get a camel through there, you can get yourself into God's kingdom by your own effort. You can't get a camel through there. You can't get yourself. It is impossible with humans. It's impossible. Nothing we can bring to the table. But God can save foolish people, monkey-like people like us, who don't want to let go. I wonder, um, if you could see any miracle, what would it be? Would it be healing? Walking on water. Uh, I've always thought I love you know when uh, Elijah goes up Mount Carmel and the fire comes down from heaven. I'd love to see that. That would be pretty awesome. Uh, I was talking to a family member uh, yesterday uh, at a family gathering, and uh, he told me that the one thing he wants to do in his life is to raise someone from the dead. And he had this focus on kind of these miracles that, and and part of it I wondered, well, how much of this is because you want that miracle to do its work there, or how much of this is trying to confirm in us, confirm for you, really, that God is there and doing miracles. But it's easy when we focus on those kind of miracles to miss the biggest miracle of all. Sometimes this uh, verse 26 here gets used to say, well, everything is possible for God, so anything you can believe for, want for, pray for, you can do it. God will do it for you. Jesus doesn't promise that. And Jesus actually isn't talking about anything. He's talking about a heart of stone, a heart of hard, impermeable, Callington bluestone being turned into a heart of jelly, a heart that's impenetrable and cold and unreceptive being turned into a heart that welcomes and accepts Jesus like a little child who gladly comes for a cuddle. See, our hearts are weighed down with pessimism and compromise and pride and disillusionment and idolatry and fear and guilt and shame. For us to recognise that Jesus is the King, that all we need to do is come like little babies and be blessed by him, takes a miracle where God turns our hearts of stone into, into hearts of flesh. If I could see one miracle today... It wouldn't be to see fire come down or someone healed. Actually, I would love to see someone today whose heart has been hard towards Jesus have their heart transformed by God's love and come to him like a child and enter his kingdom. That is the miracle I want to see. And for those of us who do come to Jesus, he gives us incredible assurance. You see the disciples there in verse 27, uh, they they seem to second guess, you know, have we really made the right choice here? We've given everything up for Jesus and and have a look. Peter kind of says, well, what's in it for us? We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fears for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is the upside-down kingdom. Whatever we give up for Jesus, we don't lose. We only gain. Had that man become like a child, he would have found himself far richer than he could ever have imagined, not in a worldly way, but in an eternal and true way. It's easy, isn't it, I said at the beginning, to look at someone else's decisions from the outside and think they look foolish or illogical? It's easy to see this man's actions as foolish, his values as out of kilter. Jesus is offering him the kingdom and he's crazy to turn it down. But when we examine our own values, we realise that we're all too similar to him in so many ways. The only way into the kingdom of heaven is for God to change our hearts so we let go of our worldly confidence and treasures and we take hold of Jesus. Make sure you let go of those pebbles.